This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 305. This podcast is brought to you by MetPro.co, a concierge nutrition coaching company that, of course, you've heard us talking about for the past several months. And the exciting news is that the first 10 MTA listeners who go to metpro.co forward slash MTA will get a complimentary consultation and a free month of coaching when they sign up for the service. MetPro has never run a special before, and they only have a handful of spots left. To take advantage, go to metpro.co forward slash MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we take a look back at what happened in the running world in 2019, the records and achievements, and the notable, bizarre, unbelievable, and inspirational stories that made headlines throughout the year. And in the quick tip segment, we discuss if the Nike Next Percent should be your next shoe. And of course, you can get help going the distance and achieving your running goals in 2020 with Academy membership and our awesome running coaches. You can learn how that works when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, Angie, last episode of the year. Wow, how has it come to this? Last episode of the decade. Of the decade. I say. <laughs> so Trevor, what are you doing to finish out 2019 strong with your running and fitness goals? That's a good question. I am trying to be more consistent in strength training and weight training. Nice. And this is not fitness related, but I'm, I've got all these books that I've started that I'm trying to finish. <laughs> <laughs> finish out the decade strong. Fitness for the mind. So I know your goals are probably better than mine. So what are you doing to finish out the decade? Well, I am still in my buildup for Revel Coolia Marathon in January. That's in Hawaii. So I did my 18-miler yesterday. It was cold. I think it was around 18 degrees when I went out. But I felt like I was able to run it strong. I've got my 20-miler next week, and then I'll go into the taper. So I'm excited about that. And also, I was aiming for over 2,000 miles this year, and I think I might have surpassed it this week. I haven't like added everything up with my mileage, yeah. but I'm either like super close or already gone over, so I'm going to keep hitting that. <laughs> That's great. Rounding out the year with 2,000 miles. All right, so before we jump into the headlines and the fascinating and inspiring stories from 2019, I want to make a few shout-outs here, folks in the community that are doing awesome things. So Angie, what do you have for us? Yeah, we'd like to say congratulations to Donna. She recently ran a 10-minute PR at the Kiowa Island Half Marathon. We'd also like to say congratulations to Joe in the Academy. Um, Trevor met up with her actually at the San Antonio Half Marathon. She says, it took six years, but I finally broke 150 with a PR of one hour, 49 minutes and 46 seconds. I don't care if I ever run fast again. I squeaked into the 140s and I'll take it. Sadly, there was no PR bell at the San Antonio Rock and Roll Race. I would have rung it and rung it. Well, congrats, Joe, on running your PR there in San Antonio. It must have been... The Mexican food that we ate the night before. Oh, that's got to be That's it. my secret because <laughs> we had our meetup at a Mexican restaurant. It was awesome. Of course, it didn't help me run a PR, but <laughs> I wasn't really trying. 
We'd also like to say congratulations to Heidi in the Academy. She says, I just entered a new age group, over 50. To celebrate, I ran the BMW Dallas 50K, which was a new distance for me. And on the way, I qualified to be a marathon maniac. Thanks to my hubby, Brian, who got yet another half marathon PR. And to all of you at MTA who are so positive and inspiring. 50 at 50. That's a great way to celebrate. So congrats, Heidi, on the awesome way of starting a new decade of life. This note comes from Fernando. He says, Dear Angie and Trevor, I decided that I needed to start doing some exercise this year, so I began to do some walks. The walks became small runs, and the small runs eventually became more. Then I found your podcast. It was perfect. I didn't know any runners, so I used all the info that you and your guests share to become a runner. The end result was that I ran the Lisbon Half Marathon in October with a time of 2 hours, 9 minutes, and 51 seconds, and the Oporto Marathon in November in 4 hours, 40 minutes, and 15 seconds. My time isn't fast, but I'm completely proud of it. All the best from Lisbon, Portugal, and that comes from Fernando. All right. Congrats on conquering your first half and full marathon this year. Keep up the great work, and I think Fernando might be the first listener that we've heard from uh, who lives in Portugal. So how cool is that? Yeah, that, that's awesome. And of course, we would love to visit sometime and run a marathon there. That's right. This note comes from Jeff. He says, hello, Angie and Trevor. I write from southern Brazil to say thank you. I came to your podcast during my first marathon cycle because I usually geek out with my training and I wanted more information on fueling. It came as a surprise that the fueling episode had so much fresh and useful information on the subject, very modern and science-based. Come race day, and I had a solid and realistic plan A, plan B, and plan C, which worked because I debuted with a sub-four-hour marathon of three hours and 57 minutes. How lucky we all are to be engaged in such a beautiful means of evolving as human beings. Cheers, Jeff. Awesome. Well said, Jeff. Thank you for that nice note. Congrats on such an epic run. And appreciate you mentioning the fueling episode. That was one of the most popular episodes that we did in 2019, which all of you guys can still go back and listen to if you haven't heard it yet, where we dive into the the science of successful fueling for long runs and races. So yeah, thank you, Jeff, for being a listener um, down there in southern Brazil. And this note says, Hi, Angie and Trevor. I'm a fairly new listener of your podcast and maybe the only one from Hungary. I got hooked after the first minute and you gave me a lot of inspiration in my comeback marathon quest. I returned to training in August after a year-long disc problem that prevented me from doing any serious exercise. I was also recovering from the loss of my best friend who passed away of cancer last year. This fall, I completed the San Sebastian Marathon in Spain in three hours and 43 minutes. Despite being my seventh marathon overall, the joy of finishing compared to that of my first marathon, especially with all the history of the last year. I hope to meet up with you someday in a European marathon, maybe in Hungary next October. He puts a smiley face there. Maybe Trevor should strike back on Angie's 50 state quest with a 44 European countries marathon quest. Your listener for life, Chris. Thank you, Chris. You are definitely the first person we've heard from who lives in Hungary. Thanks for the nice note and congrats on your marathon comeback. And I do like your idea about a 44 European countries marathon. I've actually written down that goal to run a marathon in every country in Europe. So we'll see how it goes. There is a guy who did 44 marathons in 44 days in Europe. <laughs> I think I'd rather like take my time and be able to uh, see the area more thoroughly instead of having to you know, jump from country to country so frequently. Yeah, I want to do both. I mean, think about it. If, if somebody is good at running back-to-back marathons, which a lot of ultra runners can do, all they would have to do is run 44 European countries in 43 days, and they'd beat that guy's record. <laughs> 
You know, they just have to double up on one day. You think you're the guy to do it? I'm nowhere near ready to do that. <laughs> I don't know, Angie, you've run a back-to-back marathon, so you know what that feels like. I kind of remember at the time vowing to never do that again. Yeah. Um, it was actually, I think, harder than a 50-miler because... The next day, your the next legs day you just... wake up and you're like, I have to do that all over again. <laughs> exactly. Well, I hope you guys have had a great year. We like to do this type of episode uh, towards the end of the year. We take a look back at the biggest stories from the running world. So a lot of these you probably will remember, but some of these perhaps you won't have uh, heard. Lots of fascinating stories from 2019. Let's go ahead and jump into it right now. Well on my way, well on my way. All right. So Angie, what can you tell us about 2019? Was it a great year or what for the running world? I would say by and large, it was a great year for the running world. Yeah. There were a lot of exciting things that happened. Um, of course, this list is by no means comprehensive. I know there's things that we have forgotten and that didn't make the cut, um, but we tried to gather up everything that we could think of <laughs> that made headlines in the running world, especially long distance running world, because I know there was a lot of records maybe like in the below 5K distance that I didn't include in this. So let's start with new records. On October 13th at the Chicago Marathon, 25-year-old Bridget Koskai of Kenya made history when she won the race in two hours, 14 minutes, and four seconds. And better yet, she broke the women's marathon record that had been set by Paula Radcliffe 16 years previously. So just a huge, huge day for women's marathoning because, like you said, that record had not moved for many, many years, and she just smashed it. And, of course, on that same weekend, we also saw a massive first, um, the first sub-two-hour marathon. Yeah, this was his second time to attempt to break the two-hour barrier in the marathon. Elliot Kipchoge of Kenya accomplished this amazing feat with a time of one hour, 59 minutes, 40 seconds in Vienna in October. And, of course, the performance was not an official world record because there were 41 pacemakers who were used, and Kipchoge was handed his drinks from a bike. But it still stands as the fastest, 26.2 in history. Um, Kipchoge also holds the marathon world record which is the official record of two hours, one minute and 39 seconds, which he ran in 2018 in Berlin. Um, And he was quoted in Runner's World as saying, I want to send a message to the world. No human is limited. Another wonderful accomplishment this year was of that of Joan Benoit Samuelson. Back in 1979, she was a 21-year-old college student, and she set a national and course record when she won the Boston Marathon. And so now, 40 years later, after her victory, she's 61 years old, and her goal was to run within 40 minutes of her winning time at the Boston Marathon this year. So in April, the 1984 Olympic Marathon champion wore a similar singlet that she wore back 40 years previously to honor her 1979 win, and she crossed the finish line in three hours and four minutes, exceeding her goal. She said, quote, to be here 40 years later and being able to run, let alone being able to run a marathon, I feel blessed. So very exciting and historic marathon for her. Also, ultra running star Jim Walmsley maintained his Western States winning streak when he broke his own course record back in June. Running 100 miles from Squaw Valley to Auburn, California, Walmsley finished in 14 hours and nine minutes, breaking his own course record by more than 20 minutes. And his roommate, Jared Hazen, also came in under the course record with a time of 14 hours and 26 minutes. 
And Jim Walmsley really had some other amazing achievements this year. He qualified for the Olympic marathon trials that will be held in January. He broke the 50-mile record back in May, and he won the 42K at the World Mountain Running Championships in November. Also in the ultra running world, Maggie Guterell became the last runner standing in Big's Backyard Ultra Race by running the same 4.2 mile trail loop for 60 hours. Guterell is a Colorado native. She ran 250 miles during that time to become the first woman to win the race outright. Of course, it's a race that rewards the person who can run for the longest amount of time. And uh, I recently saw there's a feature documentary about her called Determined, The Rise of Megatron. And Megatron's her nickname in the ultra running world. (laughs) I like it. Another awesome ultra runner is Camille Heron, and in October, she won the International Association of Ultra Runners 24-Hour World Championship. She covered 167.8 miles in 24 hours and led the U.S. team to an overall team victory. Um, And she really had a comeback this year because in January, she survived a near-fatal rollover car accident and recovered and came back in less than two weeks later to win the Tarawera 100-miler in New Zealand in a new course record time of 17 hours, 20 minutes, and 52 seconds. Jeffrey Kamerwar of Kenya shattered the world record at the Copenhagen Half Marathon in September. He ran a time of 58 minutes and one second. So to put that in perspective, it's a 4.25 minute per mile or 2.45 per kilometer pace. The performance was 17 seconds faster than the previous record, and the 26-year-old distant star went on to prove his legs were capable of more later in the year when he won the 2019 New York City Marathon. Another awesome runner that we've had on the podcast before, Mike Wardian set a Guinness World Record for the fastest 10 marathons in 10 days with an average time of less than three hours for each marathon. And Mike also holds the record for the World Marathon Challenge with the fastest seven marathons in seven continents in seven days. And I mean, he's always taking on these epic challenges. So a very accomplished distance runner. And speaking of world records, we also saw the first person in history to run a marathon in every country on earth when Nick Butter, who, by the way, was on our last episode. Guys, make sure you go and check that out. Episode 304. Nick Butter from the UK ran a marathon in 196 countries. Which, of course, is unparalleled just from the logistical side of things as well as the physical endurance side of things. Okay, so there are some records that were set in 2019. Let's talk about now some notable and interesting news. One of the biggest gear trends this year was the evolution of the Nike Vaporfly shoe with its curved carbon fiber plate. So there's been a lot of buzz about the Zoom Vaporfly 4%. And this year they released the Next% percent, which is supposed to have 15% more foam in the midsole. And after the shoe was released this year, it quickly became the fastest shoe on Strava, clocking up an average pace of 5 minutes and 2 seconds per kilometer or 8 minutes and 6 seconds per mile. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this shoe in the quick tip because we get a lot of questions and interest from people, you know, kind of seeing if it's going to be the the thing to make them faster as well. 32.7 degrees Celsius or 90.1 degrees Fahrenheit was the temperature during the women's marathon at the world champs in Doha this year. 28 athletes pulled out in total because of the extreme heat. And actually, one of our coaches on the, our team here, Coach Joel Pearson, had some of his athletes there. Um, he also coaches Olympic race walkers. So he was there in Doha, and they had to have all the events at night because of the heat, it sounds like. Wow, it sounds miserable. <laughs> 
One billion pounds is the London Marathon's overall fundraising total since its inception in 1981. Their motto this year was thanks a billion. And of course, we were able to run the London Marathon this year. And we're so thankful to everyone who donated to us as we raised money for an MTA Forever Forest for the John Muir Trust in Scotland. And those trees have been planted, by the way. We were updated by our friends at the John Muir Trust. So there are little saplings now near the Mountain Shehalian in Scotland. That's right. Planted by you guys. When they get bigger, we're going to go over there and carve your names in the trees. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) A lady named Cynthia Arnold, age 35, from Montana, ran a time of 3 hours and 11 minutes at the Missoula Marathon while pushing a triple stroller with her three kids, which was a total weight of 185 pounds. (laughs) Anyone who's ever run with a jogging stroller (laughs) knows how challenging it can be. So 185 pounds to run that kind of pace is pretty phenomenal. The U.S. Anti-Doping Agency banned Alberto Salazar, the famous track coach of the Nike Oregon Project, and of course former marathon champion, for four years. The USADA says Salazar was involved with trafficking testosterone infusing a prohibited amount of L-carnitine, which is an amino acid, and he tried to tamper with doping controls. That was huge and unfortunate news this year. Also, Mary Kane came out with allegations about the questionable coaching techniques of Alberto Salazar related to weight shaming. This resulted in her dealing with some serious issues with depression, and she ended up quitting the Nike Oregon Project team. Now, it's very sad to hear what she went through, but really a bright side means that it's bringing more light to problems with abusive coaches and sponsorship deals. More athletes are talking about mental health and eating disorders, including Amelia Boone, who openly shared about her longtime eating disorder and the treatment she's gone through. Another Nike-related controversy was brought to light, and that was with their pregnancy clause in contracts with women athletes. Alicia Montano shared an issue that few people knew about, that female athletes are being punished for getting pregnant. Montano said that when she told Nike that she wanted to have a baby, the brand told her it would pause her sponsorship deal and stop paying her. She left Nike to sign with ASICS, who says she was also threatened to stop paying her during her recovery after childbirth. Other athletes, including Allison Felix, have also spoken out about what they experienced. Nike has now said it would waive performance pay reductions for 12 months for athletes who decided to have a baby and will add terms that reinforce the policy for female athletes into contracts. So fortunately, it's, you know, with the attention this is, that's being brought to this, it sounds like a lot of the uh, sponsorship companies are starting to, you know, put in things like paid maternal health care and, and leave for women who want to, you know, have a family and also continue competing. Another big story from the running world was that Shalane Flanagan announced her decision to retire from elite running this year. She's the former New York City Marathon female champion and has had really an amazing career over the last decade plus. She's going to be switching her focus to coaching and also doing some media work. So we wish her all the best in this next stage of her career. The movie Britney Runs a Marathon was released this year. It's a drama comedy about a woman who gets a wake-up call when she realizes how unhealthy her body and lifestyle have become. She has a motivation to lose weight, so she starts running with the eventual goal of completing the New York City Marathon. Is it a good movie? I haven't seen it. It's really well done. I mean, it has a lot of adult themes in it, so it's one I wouldn't take kids to see unless you've previewed it first. But it's really well done. I think it's something that even a non-runner would enjoy. Um, It's not one of those, you know, kind of geeking out running movies where you have to, like, know all the inside language before you can enjoy it. 
Okay. Gabriel Grunewald, a pro middle distance runner who trained and raced through treatment for a rare cancer, died this year in June at the age of 32 in her home state of Minnesota. She inspired fans with her message of hope and resilience and that it was okay to struggle. She's quoted an outside online as saying, quote, in my previous cancer experiences, it wasn't easy, but I tried my best and I was able to do so many things that I would not have done had I just given up on my life when it was hard. So I guess my message is it's okay to struggle, but it's not okay to give up on yourself or your dreams. My story is about cancer, but everyone has tough stuff in their life. End of quote. Her message and the mantra Brave Like Gabe continues to inspire runners to be their best, and her husband Justin plans to continue her foundation, which is also called Brave Like Gabe. Kara Goucher debuted in trail races this year with the Leadville Marathon in Colorado. Bouts of vomiting from altitude sickness made the Olympian consider dropping out, but she pushed through for a fifth place finish and got first in her age group with a time of three hours and 54 minutes. She calls it the hardest thing I've ever accomplished. <laughs> Angie, you've done that marathon. It was the hardest marathon I've ever done. And my time was over three hours slower than hers, so I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, in just a minute, we want to talk about stories that are bizarre and some of them unbelievable. Before we do that, we'd like to give a quick word of thanks to this episode's sponsor, MetPro.co. It's been really cool to hear folks in the community who have signed up with MetPro and are starting to see results. In fact, Angie's sister is now working with them. Yes, yeah, she's been working with them for close to two weeks now, and she's already lost seven pounds. That's awesome. So she's really, really excited and has learned a lot already. We also heard back from a listener named Andrew. He says, love your podcast. I just finished the California International Marathon in Sacramento with two seconds under three hours. I wanted to reach out and let you know that I accomplished something I thought I would never do at age 41. Thanks also to MetPro. Smart diet is smart training. So MetPro is a concierge coaching company. They are just excellent at helping you figure out your metabolism, and they give you the tools and support to lose weight or change your body composition. And they have a deal right now for the first 10 listeners who sign up will get the first month free. It's a $500 value because, like I said, it is a high-touch concierge uh, service. But you get that first month free when you go to metpro.co forward slash MTAs. If you thought about giving it a try, I think there's a three-month commitment. I know it's not going to be in everyone's budget, but we can definitely tell you it works yeah, I've lost 32 pounds working with MetPro and just seen my marathon times drop and drop and drop. So it is amazing to feel healthy and strong and to be fueling well and have my nutrition dialed in. I just can't say enough good about it. Yeah, especially if you feel stuck, like a lot of what you are doing just has not moved the needle for you and you just kind of feel stuck in your weight loss, definitely go and talk to the folks. You can get a free consultation call. And of course, if you decide to sign up the first 10 get uh, the first month free. So just go to metpro.co forward slash MTA while there's still time. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. We'd also like to say thanks to Four Sigmatic for sponsoring this episode. Four Sigmatic is a wellness company that mixes mushrooms and adaptogens with coffee, coca, latte, and protein powder. That's right. Mushroom coffee is more than just coffee. It contains lion's mane mushrooms, which have been used for a long time by Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation, productivity, and creativity. Their formulations also include other mushrooms that support your immune system with antioxidant properties, and it has zero sugar, zero carbs, zero calories. It's organic, vegan, paleo sugar-free and dairy-free. 
They also have ones that don't have coffee mixed with it. So if you don't drink caffeine or you're sensitive to coffee, they've got some great formulations that are mixed with cacao. They've got one. My, one of my favorites is mixed with turmeric. And of course, they have a special offer for our listeners. You can get 15% off your Four Sigmatic order when you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash MTA or just enter the code MTA at checkout. That's four spelled out F-O-U-R and then Sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash MTA and get you some of that delicious mushroom coffee or mushroom tea. So now we want to talk about the bizarre or unbelievable stories that come from the running world in 2019. Yeah, as I'm gathering these, I'm like realizing how dangerous it can be to be a runner, actually. In June, a trail runner was attacked and gored by bison in a Utah State Park where he's run hundreds of times. One animal impaled Kyler Bourgeau with its horns and left hoof prints on his back and head. Quote, I thought I was going to die right there, he said. I thought my situation was just a freak accident. Bourgeau told the Washington Post on Monday night, quote, but apparently they're a lot more aggressive than I ever thought, end of quote. After recovering from a collapsed lung and a cracked rib, he worked up the nerve to return a few months later, bringing his girlfriend Kaylee Davis along for a hike. Unfortunately, she became the park's second bison attack of the year. An enormous animal turned on her and charged, throwing her about 15 feet in the air. Although in tremendous pain, she tried not to move or make any noise once she hit the ground. Quote, he was hanging over me, sniffing me for a minute, and he was digging like he was about to charge again, Davis said. When Bourgeau found her, Davis was bleeding from her left thigh where the bison had gored her. She'd also broken her right ankle, dashing her plans to run in a spring half marathon. She was airlifted to a local hospital. Kyler said he's not sure he'll ever return to the park. He said, quote, I'm generally not superstitious, but I have this weird feeling that the bison really don't like me. Oh, man. What are the chances? Very, very low. And it's the crazy thing is like they knew not to approach bison, not to try to get pictures of them. You know, they knew how to like to be careful around these animals and still just this terrible thing happened. So it's not like they were acting like tourists at Yellowstone National Park trying to take a bison home. No, they were using all the precautions and, you know, still had this. So it's always good to remember that wild animals are wild animals and they're unpredictable and that you cannot outrun a bison. Another sad story is that of Chase Flack from Iowa. He was a former college wrestler who died of cardiac arrest near the finish line of a 20K race. Paramedics tried to save Flack, age 26, but he was pronounced dead a short while later. His death came two weeks after climbing to the base camp of Mount Everest, so he's a very fit person. In a story in the New York Daily News, his dad, Craig Flack, said, quote, whatever he did, he did 110%. He was a super kid who was a friend to everybody. I guess it's a smart idea for all of us to go make sure that we don't have any kind of heart condition that would preclude us from being able to run safely, huh? That's right. We always encourage people to get a physical, a yearly physical, and to make sure that you're cleared for running and aerobic exercise, especially if you're just starting running and you just need to get that clearance to make sure that your heart is is strong and healthy. Another big story was that of 31-year-old Travis Kaufman from Colorado. He was trail running when he was attacked by a mountain lion. He managed to fight back, and he killed the lion in self-defense, but the attack required 20-plus stitches to puncture wounds on his face, legs, and arms. And he gave an interview 10 days after the attack and said that he was recovering well, had been running three times since the incident, and has actually been back to the scene of the attack. 
Caitlin Keene, age 26, was running along Fort Worth's Trinity Trails in Texas when a pit bull mix attacked her. The dog repeatedly jumped on her and bit her in the back and arms before a passerby was able to rush to her aid and subdue the dog. The attack caused injuries requiring 21 stitches in six spots. After healing up, Keene stayed focused on her goal races, which includes looking forward to the upcoming U.S. Olympic Trial Marathon. Scary stuff, man. A running club in Philadelphia helped chase down an alleged thief near the University of Pennsylvania during their midday run. Runner's World reports that the Annenberg Lunchtime Running Group saw, quote, a very fast man sprint by them, probably running a 7.15 pace, said group member Kyle Cassidy. But they quickly realized the man had allegedly stolen a phone and laptop. Quote, we all looked at each other and sprinted off after the person, Cassidy said. Other members of the running club gave chase and the running group tracked the man down on the streets of Philadelphia. The chase ended when the suspect ran into the path of responding University of Pennsylvania officers. Quote, we heard the first officer yell to the other officers, it's a running club. This guy tried to run from a running club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Not the smartest thief in the world, right? <laughs> I'm sure he didn't realize there would be a running club that would be able to track him down. They're chasing him like, hey, we can do this all day. How many marathons have you run, buddy? <laughs> People were shocked when Harvard University junior Kieran Tuntivate managed to win two races at this year's Ivy League heptagonal championships despite an injury that left him with a large open wound on the bottom of his foot. Tuntivate, age 22, had a serious case of bad luck when another runner stepped on his foot and caused him to lose his shoe during the first lap of a 3,000-meter race at the indoor meet. Runners World reports that Tuntivate, who's been running competitively since age 12, said he only had two options in the moment, stop to recover his shoe and likely lose the race or keep running and risk an injury. He decided to keep going and ended up winning the race without his left shoe. But the victory came at a bloody and painful price. Quote, it kind of felt natural at first. I kind of expected it to start hurting eventually with the really abrasive surface of the track, Tunnevate told ABC News in an interview. Around 2,000 meters, about two-thirds into the race, is where it really started to hurt. End of quote. Tunnevate said he lost a lot of skin by running on what felt like sandpaper. He said his doctor compared the skin loss to what one one experiences after a third-degree burn. But he didn't let it stop him and then managed to win the 5,000 meter event the following day. Wow. Wearing shoes, I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's rough. Speaking of barefoot running, Anna McNuff of the UK took a huge adventure by running nearly the whole of Britain barefoot. She posted this on Facebook, quote, a total of 2,352 miles run, equivalent to 90 marathons, from the Shetland Islands to London in my bare feet. It's been an emotional journey. I've been blown away by the beauty of our forest, cliff tops, rivers, lakes, dales, moors, and beaches. I've danced over smashed car mirrors, cut myself on glass, and squelched through every kind of poo imaginable. I even stood on a dead rabbit, but I wouldn't change a second of it. <laughs> you got to wonder how tough her feet are now. I'm sure they're like pieces of leather. <laughs> so now we want to talk about some inspirational stories from 2019. That's right. Ernie LaCroix celebrated his 100th birthday at the Cowtown 5K in Fort Worth, Texas. This was the 20th year in a row that LaCroix has completed the 5K race. He ran with his family and friends under the team name Smokey's Posse, named after the plane he flew during World War II. LaCroix flew 76 missions in a B-25 bomber over Italy and France during the war, earning him the Flying Cross Medal. He says, I have no idea what prompted me to give the Cowtown a go. 
He told Runner's World, I knew beforehand I didn't have a chance to win anything, but all the people obviously enjoying the competition looked like fun, so I gave it a go. I can't think of any other reason. Running, or walking as he refers to his not-so-brisk pace, was not something that LaCroix has always done, although he did exercise a lot while in the Army Air Corps during World War II. Now at age 100, he says he's, quote, in the worst shape of his life at the present moment. <laughs> <laughs> But he is looking to see what he can do to change that. I love it. He's forward thinking. <laughs> Still forward thinking at age 100. <laughs> so we talked earlier about how difficult it must be to push three children in a running stroller. But imagine pushing five children. 37-year-old Chad Kempel did just that at the Surf City Marathon in February. The father of seven pushed his quintuplets to the finish line in five hours and 45 minutes and then continued for a total of 27.3 miles to honor the amount of weeks that his wife carried the quintuplets before they were born prematurely. When the babies were born in 2018, they each only weighed three pounds and had to be immediately treated with oxygen and feeding tubes to survive. The quintuplets' fragile health conditions required them to stay in the intensive care unit for 73 days, Kempel said in a Runner's World article. Quote, it was a long, scary pregnancy, and even after they were born, we couldn't rest. Finally, we were able to take them home, but then our schedules just got busier. It's been a long, crazy year between parenting and working and finding time to run, end of quote. To train for the Surf City Marathon, Kempel woke up each morning at 4 o'clock, put on his running clothes plus a headlamp and reflective gear, and left the house at 4.30 a.m. to run. A man after my own heart. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that like never. And you should Google a picture of this because he's got like this custom stroller, like five babies, like in a row. That would have been fun to see. With like a cover on it. So yeah. (laughs) 49-year-old Dave Mackey was an accomplished ultra runner until a fall while running left him with a broken tibia in eight places. Due to complications and continual pain, he chose to have a below-the-knee amputation. And since then, he's been building back his running and completed the Leadman series last year. And this year, he ran the Leadville Trail 100-miler in 25 hours, 54 minutes, roughly six hours slower than his pre-injury 2014 time. And he was the first runner to ever finish the race with a prosthetic leg. Quote, I just want to go out there and make the most of it. I'm more appreciative now of every individual run or ride or skiing with my kids. It feels so good. With the accident I've had, I could have died. End of quote. And there's a new film about his story called Lead Man. And finally, British ultra runner Jasmine Paris wins a 268-mile race at the Montaigne Spine Race, which traverses from England into Scotland on rugged terrain. She was the overall winner by over 15 hours with a time of 83 hours and 12 minutes. There were 126 other athletes who also battled the rain and 50-mile-per-hour winds. But she only sought for seven hours total to eat, sleep, and pump breast milk as she's still nursing her baby girl. Athletes are required to carry their own supplies and navigate, which also adds to the challenge. I think I saw pictures from that. Yeah, it looks like the weather was terrible. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, winter in the UK and having to navigate through the mountains for 268 miles, carrying all your own supplies. And she's doing it while breastfeeding. So yeah, just amazing to come away as the overall winner. So there is a look at what happened kind of a rundown of 2019 and like angie said at the beginning i'm sure there's plenty of stories that could have been included that we didn't include either because we didn't have time or we didn't know of the story but if you want to see a list of everything that we covered of course you can find that on our website with the show notes to this episode it's been a good year for the podcast we had a lot of great guests this year that we're so thankful for from you know coach bob larson 
Courtney DeWalter, Alexi Pappas, Meb Kafleski, and of course lots of great authors as well, like when we got to speak with Matthew Futterman, author of Running to the Edge. And it was a good year for race recaps, of course. Um, we got to go to the London Marathon, which is something that we'd wanted to do for, uh, for quite a while. Finally, we were able to get in and run it, thanks to our friends at the John Muir Trust. And, of course, Angie, um, you ran all kinds of races and earned two BQs and a PR in 2019. And did my first race walking marathon as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, quickly, run down what races you did in 2019. Ooh, I did the Red Rock Marathon in Nevada, and I race walked that. Did the London Marathon, of course, in April. I did the Charlevoix Marathon in Michigan in June. The Black Hills 50K in Sturgis, South Dakota, also at the end of June. And then I did the Hartford Marathon in Connecticut and got my new PR there. Then I did the Norwich Marathon in Vermont and the Manchester City Marathon in New Hampshire. That is a lot of racing. (laughs) Is your body begging you to stop or how do you feel? I took some time off after my last race in Manchester because, yeah, my body was saying, what have you done to me this year? <laughs> but now, you know, I'm kind of, I'm raring to go. And like I said, building up for the Revel Coolia Marathon coming up soon in January, which will be my 50th state. So I'm excited about that. And then we'll probably take a little downtime after that and then figure out what I want the rest of my race schedule to look like for next year. This year I did the Tallahassee Half Marathon in Florida, the London Marathon. Then I did my first 50K, the Divide 50K in Butte, Montana in July. And then I went to Austria and ran the Kaiser Marathon near Innsbruck, Austria. It was the first time I almost ran a marathon. You ran as much as you could. (laughs) That was where they shut the course down because of the weather. And then I finished out the year with the Philadelphia Half Marathon and the San Antonio Rock and Roll Half Marathon in December. And of course, Angie and I both participated in the MTA Virtual Half Marathon. That's right. Can't forget that one. Yeah, it's growing every year. And we had, I think, 423 people participate this year. But before we wrap up our episode, we want to talk about those magic shoes. We're putting magic in air quotes here. (laughs) Yeah. That's what Brian Metzler calls them. We had Brian on the podcast talk about his book, Kixology. And of course, we are talking about the Nike Next Percents or the Nike 4% or whatever percent shoe they're coming out with. A lot of people are wondering what they can do for them, right? Yeah. And there's actually been several articles in the New York Times in recent months about the Nike Vaporflies, both the 4% and the next percent, questioning how much advantage these shoes actually give to runners. They raise concerns the shoes do not conform to the IAAF standards for competitive footwear. The standard says, quote, shoes must not be constructed so as to give athletes any unfair assistance or advantage, end of quote. And the New York Times piece says, quote, the problems begin with the carbon fiber plate embedded in the midsole. The plate is scooped like a spoon and acts like a slingshot that propels runners into their next stride, end of quote. So that sounds kind of promising if you're looking for a fast shoe. It's said to increase running economy by 4%, which doesn't mean that you can automatically reduce 4% from your marathon times. Nike does claim a 4% improvement across all ranges of speed and ability, according to an article on Bloomberg.com with their Vaporfly 4%. Ryan Hall is quoted as saying, quote, this is not a little advancement in technology. This is a completely different animal. 
Of course, Hall is a retired U.S. distance runner. Quote, physically speaking, it's so hard for elite runners to take one minute off their marathon time. To just put on a pair of shoes and be able to run two minutes quicker, that's mind-blowing. So because they're a lightweight racing shoe, it means that they're not meant to be used extensively in training. And they do have a limited mileage before the shoe starts to break down. So that maybe makes it less attractive given the $250 price tag for a lot of runners. Another issue that it's been reported that the shoe can magnify imperfections in your stride and can exacerbate niggles or injuries. I was, you know, hearing about the shoe, I was all ready to order some to test out until I read about Brian Metzler's experience in the book Kixology that you were talking about, Trevor. Um, He ended up with an injury that set him back in his marathon goals. And I kind of started thinking twice about getting the shoes because I'd been making gains with my current shoes. And I just kind of wanted to see how far I could get before reevaluating my shoe choice. You know, kind of the old mantra, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So I'll probably try them at some point. But I've really never felt like Nike shoes have fit my feet that well. So that's another thing that's kind of held me back. Although the Vaporfly Next Percent apparently has more cushioning than the 4%. And it also has a slightly wider toe box, I've heard, which is helpful for a lot of runners. Um, Self-reporting from runners on Strava indicates that the Vaporfly is currently the fastest shoe. It's clear they do give most runners a boost. Of course, I'm also wondering how much of that boost comes from the belief that the shoe is going to make you faster because there is an incredible mind-body interaction. You know, if you if you think something is going to make you faster, it can actually be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, when I was in the car with Gene Dykes, the hashtag ultra geezer, right before the Philadelphia half marathon, I noticed he had the Nike vapor flies on and I asked him what he thinks about them and he said, just putting them on makes him faster. <laughs> there you go. So it's not going to turn a five-hour marathoner into a sub-three-hour marathoner. It's not going to turn me into an Olympic qualifier. But it's possible, you know, if with the right focus in your training that these shoes can give you some advantage. Um, Runners in the academy who have used them have had this to say. David says, I bought the 4% not really believing they were going to be all that helpful. I wore them in a training run and for a half marathon. There is a major difference in the energy return provided by the shoes. In fact, the first thing that came to my mind was that running in these shoes was akin to cheating. I've run in many other shoes and there is nothing like the Nike Vaporflies. For the mid-packer, the shoes will definitely improve the time. For the elite, I can definitely see how the shoe would be a huge factor in deciding who wins. Mitch says, I have them and like them. The feel is very different and took me a bit to get used to. I'm told they have limited mileage, so I primarily use them in races. A marathon is still 90% mental, but I think they do help the physical part. And David from Switzerland says, I use the 4% and found they are nicely cushioned for a lightweight shoe, push you forward, and definitely increase pace. I recently ran in the next percents and noticed the extra cushioning without added weight, the roomier toe box, and better traction. Now, other shoe companies are scrambling to release similar shoes because Nike really has kind of the edge in the market right now. Hoka has already released their carbon-plated shoe back in May, and it looks like Brooks, New Balance, and Saucony will release their version in 2020. So maybe look for after Christmas sales if you think that this is something that you want to try. Yeah. You know, the other day I was at our local, well, one of our local running stores, Fleet Feet in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And I was talking with the owner, Fred Jocelyn, about these shoes. And he started explaining where the 4% number or concept came from. And I thought, this is really good. I just, we need to record this. So we went in the back room 
where it was a little bit quieter. And I got a little soundbite with him about how well these shoes have been selling at his store and what 4% actually means. Hey, I'm here at my local running store, uh, Fleet Feet in Mechanicsburg, with the owner, Fred Joslin. And we were just talking about the Nike carbon plate shoes, the Vaporfly and the 4%. And he had some interesting insight into the origin of the 4% uh, number. What it, exactly does that mean? And he's got an interesting story about how the legendary coach Jack Daniels had some input on that. So, Fred, first of all, uh, great to see you again, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I just wanted to get this recorded because we were just talking out there in the store, and I thought this is this this will really help people get an idea of you know what these shoes are actually offering. Maybe people's expectations have been a little off. Who knows? So what were you telling me out there about the uh, Nike 4%? Sure. Uh, so what we were talking about is that uh, when Nike came up with this 4% number, that was determined by having runners on a treadmill and measuring their oxygen consumption. And what they did was they compared the next percent shoes versus a regular uh, racing flat. And they were trying to determine how much more efficient the body was with the vapor flies, with the next percent on. And so the 4% came from burning 4% less oxygen for the same runner at the same speed on average. And so we've seen that number advertised a lot uh, because they're saying, well, we have proof that our shoes are faster and an independent research approved that. They said they got the same data. But what is a little bit tricky with, with understanding that number is that four, using 4% less oxygen does not necessarily translate into 4% more speed. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like the fuel economy of a car. Uh, if your car gets better gas mileage, uh, that doesn't automatically mean that your car is now going to be faster than somebody trying to cover the same distance. So yeah. in this case, what, what happens is you have to figure out how much that energy savings can be translated into more speed at maximal uh, exertion. And what I had uh, asked Jack Daniels, who is the author of the Daniels Running Formula books and was a, was a coach of mine, he, he was here in town a couple of weeks ago and we we're having a cup of coffee. And he actually did a lot of research on shoes when he worked for Nike. Hmm. And when they tested shoes against other shoes, he said that they would also then have the runners run time trials so that they could try to get an indication of what that energy savings meant in terms of speed. And what they found uh, during his testing, they had found a shoe that was 3% faster than another, or, or, or I should say was 3% more efficient than another shoe in terms of how much oxygen was burned. Yeah. And that that corresponded to a second and a half per mile when that person was running a time trial. And so based on that data, he said he would estimate that the 4% is probably a little bit less than two seconds per mile. Um, now, th there is a lot of other factors like the personal economy of a runner could change from one person to another. But he said that most likely he thinks that the shoe is 45 seconds to one minute faster than a typical racing flat. Okay, folks. So if people are putting them on and thinking, all right, now I'm going to run a 30-minute PR. Yeah, probably not realistic. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of people just assumed that 4% less oxygen spent meant 4% faster, and, and it yeah. doesn't. It, it, it shouldn't. And that, that makes sense. So it's not like you can look at your marathon time and think, oh, 4% faster would be this many minutes off. That's what I'm going to get. That's what I should expect. And Nike, it's not like they've really explained this because maybe it's been in their interest to sort of hide the ball 
on what 4% actually means. Right. Yeah, of course, because 4% sounds like a lot and it is a lot. And, and even if that does translate to less than 4% of your actual speed, that's still, in my opinion, significant. I think that's a lot. Uh, but obviously, they want to get as much credit as they possibly can. So leaving the 4% as is is sort of a, a nice a nice tactic. <laughs> and how well have they been selling here at your store? So they've been selling really well. Uh, I think Nike is very smart in terms of keeping the allocation of the shoe as tight as possible. It keeps the demand very high. Mm-hmm. So Nike allows us to buy uh, 12 to 15 pairs about once a quarter. And so we'll get them in, we sell them very quickly, and then we sort of wait until Nike gives us the green light to buy more. I mean, I, I, mean, I can't argue that. Nike made a great product, and they're smart enough to keep their demand high and the, the price where it is because of that. Uh, but I do think that this will probably change a little bit. Um, all of the other uh, companies have recognized the success, and they want to be a part of it. And so we're already seeing um, other companies making other versions of carbon-plated shoes and shoes with foams that are supposed to be more efficient. And I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see a lot of companies coming out with a model to compete with the Vaporflies in the next percent. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. You know, We want to see the shoes get better. We want to see great technology. Um, and we'd love to have more units in the store to sell. So it's good all around. <laughs> How do you like them? Do you run in them too? I have run in them. Uh, I, I like them a lot. Um, I will say that one thing that's interesting, and, and this really goes with any shoes that you're putting on your feet, I still think that comfort is one of the most important factors, especially when you're talking about something like the marathon, because the moment that you're not comfortable, you're going to change your gait. You're going to be thinking about that. And so I, I ran two marathons this fall. I ran one in the next percent, and I ran one in a New Balance shoe, and I actually ran faster in the New Balance shoe, <laughs> and I think it had more to do with it. It's a, it's a the, the New Balance Beacon. It's a shoe that has worked really well for me. I'm really comfortable in it, and so I wasn't thinking about anything. My feet felt good. Um, now that's not a knock on the Nike shoe. Obviously, they have the data to show that the Nike the shoe is phenomenal and the, the results yeah. are there. Uh, but I do think that shoes are very uh, individual, and if somebody has a shoe that feels good fits them, works for their foot type. I think that that's still probably the way to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're looking to get an advantage, you know, any way you can, it's probably not a bad shoe to try for sure. Right on. Appreciate it. All right, you guys, if you're in the area or coming through, check out Fleet Feet in Mechanicsburg and ask for Fred if you're in the store. Tell him you heard him on the MTA podcast. Fred, how many times have you won the Harrisburg Marathon? Uh, two times. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And then what, what's your uh, marathon PR? Uh, my best is 218.49, which is quite a few years ago now. <laughs> so he knows a lot about running fast. Thanks again, Fred. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Fred. Jocelyn from Fleet Feet Mechanicsburg. Very knowledgeable guy. Great store, too. That's a little look at the Nike Vaporflies. Angie and I have not personally run in them yet, but if you have, we'd love to hear what your experience is like. You can email us or leave a comment with the show notes to this episode over at marathontrainingacademy.com. And of course, when you're over there, we have all kinds of back podcast episodes you can check out. And if you're ready to start training intentionally to achieve your goals in the new year, definitely check out Academy Membership. We've got a great group of folks training with us right now and it's growing all the time. And of course, uh, we have personal one-on-one coaching for those that want more guidance. You can learn about that as well over at marathontrainingacademy.com. Here's to a great new year. Be safe out there. Keep taking action in your health. And always remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my-